0: about who God is is he is sovereign he is sovereign he is in control and he rules the destinies of men and especially you brothers and sisters in Christ he is sovereign over you let's pray Father God in heaven thank you Lord for your sovereignty Thank you for your great and mighty power. Father, thank you for who you are. You're awesome. You're powerful. The Bible, your, your, your word says in Psalms 19, the heavens declare your glory. The skies proclaim the work of your hands. Father God, it all displays your majesty. And Lord, we get to pour forth your praise from our lips. So Father, give us thankful hearts this morning. Give us um, hearts that just cry out to you. And praise and worship, in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen, amen. You may have a seat. How's everybody doing today? This weather, man, I tell you, man, you want you want to change in the weather? Just wait one day. It it, it is crazy. It is it's crazy. Um, but praise the Lord, we're back in fellowship. We're back in church, and uh, talking with a lot of area pastors in Columbia, and it's great to see things getting back to some kind of semi-normalcy, and us getting back into the flow of church and fellowship and ministries, and it's exciting to see. But as always at Calvary Chapel Irmo, we teach through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. So if you would, please turn in your Bibles this morning to James chapter 5, James chapter 5, and we're just looking at the first six verses this morning, you know, last, last Sunday, I talked through all of James chapter 4. I was able to get through the whole chapter. But uh, in my preparation this week, I can only get through verse 6. There's so much here for us to unpack and look at that uh, we're going to look at six verses. So let's read the first three verses so you kind of know where we're going this morning. James chapter 5 verses 1 through 3 says, Come now, you, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted, and your garments have become moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have rusted, and their rust will be a witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire. It is in the last days that you have stored up your treasure. Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, as we dive into it, Father, and explore this subject of the idolatry of wealth, pray that you open our hearts, and Father, I pray most importantly, Father, that you equip us and you teach us, Lord, not to make wealth an idol in our lives. In Jesus' mighty name I pray, Father, amen, amen. So the title of my message this morning is uh, The Idolatry of Wealth, and as, as I'm sure many of you know, uh, wealth can be worshiped. And, but, but first off, with my title, The Idolatry of Wealth, I wanted to define to you what does the word idolatry mean? And I want to give you J.I. Packer's definition of the definition of idolatry. J.I. Packer says, What other gods could we have besides the Lord? Question mark. Plenty. For Israel, there were the Canaanite gods whose worship was a rampage of gluttony, drunkenness, and ritual prostitution. But for us today, there are the gods of sex money, and the stomach. The unholy trinity is the God. This is the unholy trinity of the God of self. There are, other, there are other enslaving trios, pleasure, possessions, position. This is the worship we call the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life from First John chapter 2, verse 16. Then there's the football, the firm, talking about business, and the family. They also can be God's. Indeed, the list of other gods is endless, but for anything that anyone allows to run their life other than God Himself, it becomes idolatry. Now, let's be real and let's 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 examine this. What are some things today that compete with our allegiance to the Lord? Our job, our family. Uh, our material things that we have and also the thing that competes where'd it go oh there it is the other thing that competes with our allegiance to the lord is money is money there's many things that compete in our life in our allegiance to the lord but one of those things is money Some people call it the almighty dollar. You know, some people say money talks. The only thing that money's ever said to me is goodbye. But isn't that the truth? But still, there's this insatiable desire within us to to pursue money. And family, the bottom line for the believer is money should never be the focus of the Christian life. And money, the almighty dollar, should never be the focus of the local church. The focus of the Christian life and the focus of the local church is a person. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. The the idolatry of wealth can be deadly. It can be deadly. It can wreck your life if you make this an idol or or if you center your life around it. I want to read to you from Henry Nguyen's book called The Wounded Healer talking about how deadly the idolatry of wealth can be. Henry Nguyen says, he retells a story from ancient India. It's it's a a story, it's a fable, but it was about four royal brothers that decided each to master a special ability. Time went by and the, the brothers met to reveal what they had learned. And basically, the first one says, I have mastered a science by which I can... Take but a bone of some creature and create flesh around it. The second brother said, I know how to grow grow that creature's skin and hair if there is flesh on its bones. The third brother said, I am able to create its limbs if I have flesh, skin, and the hair. And the fourth brother said, I know how to give life to that creature if its form is complete. Thereafter, the brothers went into the jungle and they found the bone of a lion. One added flesh to the bone. The second grew the hair and the hide. The third completed it with matching limbs. And the fourth gave life to the lion. And what do you think the lion did? <laughs> it ate him. It, it ate him. Shaking its mane, the ferocious beast rose and killed all the men and disappeared into the jungle. Family, we have the capacity to create what can devour us. Goals and dreams can consume us. Possessions and property can turn and destroy us. And unless we seek God's kingdom first and his righteousness and allow him to breathe into what we make of life, the idolatries of life can destroy you. This is serious spiritual business that I present to you this morning. That's why I'm only going through six verses to explain these verses, talk about them, talk about what they mean in their context, and bring application to them today. So y'all ready to dive in? We want to protect ourselves from the idolatry of wealth. Let's take a look at verse 1. Verse 1 of James chapter 5, James says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. What's he talking about here? He's talking about the title of my message, which is The Idolatry of Wealth. Or the idolatry of money. And the first thing he says there in verse 1 is he says, look at that word, come now. That that is an emphasis that he's saying, please listen closely. Please give me your undivided attention. Come now, put all things aside and let's get this right. And he's addressing who in the next part of the verse? You rich. These wealthy people that we're most likely putting money before God or possibly unbelievers that were rich there. We don't know. We know that the, uh, the book of James was written to Jewish believers who were dispersed because of a persecution. But uh, anyway, but he's writing to them to, to warn them. And he says, first he says, weep and howl for your miseries. That word weep, it means to sob out loud. It means to lament. It's the same word that's used in John chapter 11. It's a lamenting out loud. It's a, an overwhelming sorrow that, that, that you get physical about. And he says, what does he say? He says, weep and howl for what? For your miseries. This word miseries in, in um, James 5.1 is the same word that's used in Romans 3.16, and it means wretchedness. It, it, means, it means wretchedness. Come now, you weep and howl for your wretchedness. You see, when when we sink to the depths of, of idolatry and placing other things before the Lord, it brings out the true wretchedness that is in us and it displays our sinful fallen nature. And he says, come now, you, re- you rich, weep, and how for your miseries which are coming upon you. See, idolatry, what does it do? It rots us from the inside out. There's actually two two uh, interpretations of this coming upon you. The first uh, interpretation of this coming upon you, verse one, is is, is it brings out the, the wretchedness. The, it brings out uh, it brings out your vile flesh and your attitude when you let money take control. But also, some commentators will say, which are coming upon you. When will this come upon you? When you stand before the Lord Jesus Christ in glory. And you've spent your whole life Trusting in wealth instead of trusting in him. And that, my friend, anything that we place above the Lord is idolatry. And we will be judged. And that's where he gets into this judgment part of verses two and three. Look at it in verses two and three. He says, Your riches have rotted, and your garments have become moth eaten. Your gold and your silver have rusted. And their rust will be a witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire. Man, the preacher in James is coming out. You see, James is the New Testament the Proverbs. It's the book of wisdom and understanding and knowledge. And now James is laying the wood. And James is warning what will happen to those who trust in their wealth rather than trusting in Christ. And those who trust in their wealth rather than trusting in Christ, those who trust in this will perish, will perish. And as they're judged on judgment day and condemned for not trusting in Christ but trusting in their wealth, they will be reminded in this life that they chose to trust in the wealth instead of Christ. It says there in verse 3, it says, Your gold and your silver have rusted, and their rust will be a witness. It will testify. You know, I believe that people in this life that reject Christ and they spend eternity from God separated in hell, they will be reminded for all eternity the thing that they trusted in instead of trusting in Christ. There's salvation in no other. There's no other name given under heaven by which men must be saved but at the name of Jesus. And we don't trust in nothing but him. And, and, to, and for us as, as believers, as believers in Christ, you know, we need to understand this morning that the idolatry of wealth is a real danger. It is a real danger that creeps at each, each one of our doors. At each one of our doors. You know, whether it's an opulent home, a fat checkbook or whatever it is that that grabs our attention in this life, there's a temptation in our life, Christian, that we will trust in our wealth rather than trusting in Christ. And that's where it gets dangerous. You know, I've never understood the, the prosperity gospel, and I've never understood the prosperity message and, and the preachers on TV who are saying do this, do that and you're going to get lots of money. I've never understood that because the scripture is quite clear. It's just the opposite. The scripture warns us to not pursue wealth and to be cautious because it can actually wealth can drag you away from the Lord. And we don't want to be dragged away from God. We want to be drawn closer to him in everything we do. 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 10 Uh, Paul tells Timothy, New Testament here, he says, For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Again, it's not a sin to be rich. It's not a sin to be rich. I know many people that have lots of money, and they are serving the Lord. But what are they doing? They're keeping money in its proper perspective. But... Uh, riches wealth I'm, I like to say wealth because it's not just limited to money it could, be, it could be property it could be homes it could be your, uh, your valuables but it's, it's not a sin to have those but when we lust after them and they control us and they become our God then it becomes a sin because he, he, he says there for the love of money not the possession of money but the love of money and it does two things according to verse 10 number one If you look closely at 1 Timothy 6.10, which you should be on the screen, the first thing it says, they've wandered away from the faith. You know, the thing that that wealth does to us is it it pulls us away from complete dependence upon Christ. There's a temptation that i got all this money, i got all this wealth, I can trust in this. And and that's not where we want to be. We want complete dependence upon the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't want to stray away from the faith. We don't want to wander away. And we don't want anything in our lives that could possibly tempt us to say, I don't need God, or I want to walk away, or I'll come back one day. You know, that's, that's not good. We want complete and total dependence upon, upon, upon the Lord in all situations. The second thing that's mentioned there in First uh, Timothy 6.10, it says, there, uh, because of the love of money, this greed, this idolatry of wealth, they pierce themselves with many griefs. You know, uh, the idolatry of wealth it causes poor decision making because you're thinking with your lust and not your heart. You're thinking you're thinking about your wealth instead of thinking with your mind and thinking and thinking logical. And it causes poor decisions, and it can hurt our family, and it can hurt our marriages, and it can wreck our relationship with the Lord. Because you know we're tempted to walk away, we're tempted to stray away. What? Did, here's here's. Uh, let's let's go. Let's turn there. Turn to Matthew chapter nineteen. Let's look at what Jesus says. Jesus says about wealth. Please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter nineteen. Let you see it, hear it straight from our Lord. Matthew chapter nineteen, starting at verse sixteen, we have the story of the rich young ruler. And let's pick it up at verse 16, Matthew chapter 19. And someone came to him and said, Teacher, what good things shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? And he said to him, Why are you asking me about what is good? There is only one who is good. But if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. Then he said to him, Which ones? Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Uh, Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these things I have kept, what am I still lacking? Jesus said to him, if you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven, and come follow me. One of the most tragic verses in all the Bible is the next verse. Look at verse 22. But when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. You see, the rich young ruler, his God was his wealth. His God was his wealth. It was the thing that he placed first in life. And notice Jesus Jesus didn't go running after him, didn't go chasing after him, didn't didn't do none of those things. Because Jesus was understood, because Jesus is God, he was you know, understood this man must repent and turn away from wealth. You can't serve God and mammon. You can't serve God and money. You will love one and hate the other or hate one and love the other. Verse 23, and here, here's, the, here's, the, here's Jesus' words on, on, on being rich. Look at verse 23 and 24 of Matthew chapter 19. And Jesus said to his disciples, truly I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven, again I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, I don't know about you, but the thought of a camel going through the eye of a needle is a scientific impossibility. It it, it won't happen. And wealth can be damning if it causes us to not trust in Christ in this life. So you need to understand that Christ has to be first. He has to be number one in your life. He wants you to place him above all things, above all things. And when it comes to our service and our commitment and our walk, our spiritual walk, our allegiance is to the Lord Jesus Christ and not to wealth. And we need to understand that, the powerful influence that finances and money and wealth and property and all that can have it can be deadly it can be deadly, and we need to remember that so this this begs the question that i want to I want to dissect this morning um, what does the idolatry of wealth look like well thankfully i don 't have to because James does so let 's look at how james. The apostle dissects the idolatry of wealth. It can be broken down into three parts. Look at, let's go back to verses one through three. And look at the very end of verse three, the last sentence of of verse three. It says, In the last days that you have stored up your treasure. The first characteristic of the idolatry of wealth is hoarding, is hoarding, and so what he says, you have stored up for your treasures, in other words, you've stored up your treasures, and you've kept them all for yourself, you ever watch those shows on TV, you know, on the Discovery Channel, those people, they just fill their houses up, and they fill each bedroom up to full, no one, they're never going to use it, but they just have this obsession to keep everything Whether it's small or big, great value or little value, but they hold on to everything. Jesus specifically warns in Matthew chapter 6 against hoarding, where he says in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21, he says, Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in or steal. For there your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Hoarding means that we keep everything and that we let nothing go. That we, that we let nothing go. But what we need to remember, though, is all, one day all this stuff is going to rot. Now, don't get me wrong. We need to work hard. We need to make money. We need to take care of our family. We need to save for college education. We need to have, as Dave Ramsey would say, an emergency fund, have some money in savings. You need to take care of your family. You need to take care of life. But after God provides for us, we need to be a blessing. We need to be a blessing to those around us with our material possessions. You see, what we do with our wealth reveals where our heart is. Again, I'll point you to verse 21 of Matthew chapter 6, where I got that point from, where he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Again, we take care of our family. You know, we get a home. We get everything laid on. We let the Lord provide for us to live this life. We take care of our children and their college education and, and all the things that it requires in life. But after that, man, we're called to be a blessing to those around us with our wealth, and Jesus says, "Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also." My ultimate treasure is in heaven, and I want to make sure throughout this life that that I use my treasures and my talents and my material possessions, including my money, to um, advance the kingdom of God. So, number one, the first characteristic of the, the first characteristic of the idolatry of wealth. If you're taking notes, is hoarding. Let's look at the second characteristic on the idolatry of wealth. It's found in verse four. He says, "Behold, the pay of the laborers who mowed your fields, which has been withheld by you, cries out against you, and the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of Sabath." The second characteristic I present to you this morning when it comes to the idolatry of wealth is fraud. Is fraud. And that is where we are dishonest with our financial dealings. That is where we are deceptive. We are not transparent. In verse 4 he says, Behold the pay of the laborers. They've mowed your field. In other words, these guys have come out. They've taken care of their fields. They've done their work. And now you have a responsibility to pay them. You have a responsibility to give them what they have earned. And, And this element of fraud under the idolatry of wealth, it's not that an individual does not have money. They have money, but they owe money, and they do not want to pay it. And that is just wrong. That is just wrong. How would you like it if you went to work one day and you you put in a 40-hour week and the boss says, you know what, I'm not going to pay you. You're like, wait a minute, I got bills to pay. I got a family to take care of. But that's an, an element of the idolatry well, and notice verse four. Notice who is listening at the end of verse four. He said, "Those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of the Sabbath." The, the phrase that's a transliteration of the word Sabbath. It means um, the, the Lord of Hosts, the Lord of Angels, armies. But we need to understand that God sees our financial dealings, and we need to understand and we need to be transparent. And be real and be honest, and not um, be deceptive with our finances, because that again falls under the idolatry of wealth. The third characteristic I present to you this morning from God's Word is found in verse five. Let's take a look at that. He says, "You have you have lived luxuriously on the earth and led a life of wanton pleasure." You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. The third characteristic of the idolatry of wealth is this: self-indulgence. Self-indulgence. You spend your life on yourself. you focus on personal pleasures. You're in bondage to extravagant comfort. Um, listen to what Paul, how Paul described his ministry. When he was here on earth, and how he considered himself and his material things, he said in 1, 2 Timothy 4:6, he says, "For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come." See, Paul saw the Christian life not how can I be blessed, but how I can bless others. Whatever I receive from the Lord, whatever material blessing whatever financial blessing, whatever allotment that God has given me in this life, I use that wealth to bless other people. Man, now we're talking real Christianity. Now we're talking real Christianity. When we say, Jesus, you are Lord of my life, you're Lord of my my wealth, you're Lord of my family, and I want to be used greatly by you. You see, God blesses us with wealth so that we can be a blessing to others. Now notice the second half of verse 5. Second half of verse 5 is, there's not a real clear-cut interpretation. There's many different views of the second half of verse 5, where he says, James uses this interesting phrase. Now remember, James is Jewish. He's got Jewish roots. He's the leader of the church there at Jerusalem. He's speaking to the Jews that are dispersed across Asia Minor. And he says, you have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. What, he, what, he, what does he mean by that phrase? I wrestled with it all week. And to be honest with you, I didn't come to a clear, concise interpretation of what this phrase means. But the, I think the thing that it brought to my mind, and, and I hold it in the spirit of grace, and he says, You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You know, he's talking about luxurious living and wanton pleasure. So you've fattened your hearts. In other words, you've given yourself of your own pleasures, of your own desires, and a day of slaughter. So maybe it could be, possibly, is you're doing things that are carnal to fulfill your flesh when you should be doing spiritual things. For example, going to church. Instead of going to church, you go and do your own thing. Instead of going to Bible study, you go and do your own thing. Instead of spending time in prayer, you go and do your own thing. But, guys, we got to be disciplined as Christians to make sure we spend quality time with the Lord, to make sure we're in the house of God, that we're rubbing shoulders. Do you know there's something special that takes place when we gather? And we're rubbing shoulders and we're seeing one another and we're encouraging each other? Something great happens that will not happen if you're not here. It's just something about going to church and rubbing shoulders with brothers and sisters in Christ that it encourages us. There's something special about you spending quality time yourself in the Word. And not just listening to your pastor or listening to your favorite Bible teacher, as much as I like doing those things, but you having your own discipline in the Word and in worship and in prayer you've got to exercise those things. There's times in our lives where we need to cut out some of the things that fulfill our own desires and do the things that please the Lord to build up our spiritual life. Because I'm telling you, one day Christ will come again. And until that day, until the rapture of the church, you and I need to be focused. Focused on growing in our relationship with Christ. That's the number one thing in this life is that you are growing. I am growing, and that we are reaching out to this world. That's how we're going to, that's how we're going to make it. That's how we're going to make it to the end, is, is we're not going to live a life of luxurious pleasures and wanton pleasures and, and fattening our heart and fulfilling our own desires, but we want to be doing the things of the Lord again. God blesses us with wealth so that we, you and I, can be a blessing to others. Let's look at the final verse this morning. The final verse this morning, looking at the the overarching theme is the idolatry of wealth. And we're looking at what does it look like? What does it look like? And verse 6 is another principle under this heading. Verse 6, he says, You have condemned and put to death the righteous man. And he does not resist you. The fourth characteristic I present to you this morning when we're talking about the idolatry of wealth, how we can identify it is, this person who idolizes wealth, they will hate those who challenge them. They will hate those who, who, who warn them. It says, you have condemned. He, sa- he says, you. Who is the you? The you is the same person That he's been talking to in verses 1 through 5. And it says, you who idolize wealth, you have condemned and put to death the righteous man. Why would this person who idolizes wealth put to death the righteous man? Maybe because the righteous man is holding him accountable. Maybe because the righteous man is warning him. Maybe because the righteous man is saying, dude, that's great you got all that money. But put your trust in Christ. Put your trust in Christ. Again, there's nothing wrong with being rich. There's nothing wrong with wealth. But we don't put it above Christ. Because Christ is number one. And as Christians, it's our job to warn people. Don't put your trust in wealth. Put your trust in Christ. And when you start talking that that kind of language, you'll see where their heart is. Either, the, either they'll humble themselves and the temperature will go down, or the temperature will go up and you're touching a hot spot. But again, a well, just the rich young ruler that we looked at while ago, what does it say? It says, He went away sad. He went away sad because his wealth was his God. So that is what I present to you this morning, looking at the idolatry of wealth. Those are the three elements. One is they will um, hate those who challenge and warn them. According to verse 6, according to the end of verse 3, they, they hoard. Uh, according to verse 4, there's fraud in their financial dealings. And according to verse 5, there's self indulgence. So let's talk about application. Let's talk about application. How does, this, how does this apply to you and I today? How do we guard ourselves from the idolatry of wealth? I want to give you three principles, I want to close with three principles this morning on how you. Can guard your heart from the idolatry of wealth. Number one, the first principle you need to understand you need to do is this make Christ your greatest treasure. Make Christ your greatest treasure. Understand the weight of Jesus versus the weight of your finances or or your homes or your property or whatever your material, understand the weight of who Jesus is. Understand the depths of Calvary. Understand the depths that he went to to secure your eternal salvation. Nothing compares with that. Nothing compares with the love that God displayed for you at Calvary. Nothing. Love him with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. Place him first in everything. And again, if you have wealth, praise the Lord. Just keep it in its perspective and and use it. Take care of your family, take care of your children, take care of all the things that need to be taken care of in life, and then use your material wealth. To honor the Lord. But number one is you make Christ your greatest treasure. Second principle that will help you and I from idolizing wealth is this. Remember this. You can't take it with you. You can't take it with you. Man, sucks. You know, you think about the hoarders and the people filling up the house, all this stuff. You can't take it with you, and you ain't doing nothing with it. It it, it can't go with you. There's only one thing that you can take into eternity. And that's the most important thing you have, and that is your soul, your soul. That's what we got to be making rich is our heart, our soul, that inner man, making him rich in Christ. Job said in Job 121, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Two things. Praise the Lord for wealth. Praise the Lord for blessing. I believe that God blesses his children. He blesses them not to make them rich, but to make them a blessing to other people. But here's the deal. Whatever you do have, hold it lightly. Hold hold, hold it lightly and then hold firmly to Christ. That's what we got to do. And secondly, be thankful. Be thankful for what the Lord has blessed you with. The job, the income, the pay raise, the home, the family, the kids going off to college. Praise the Lord and be be very thankful for those things. But remember, at the end of the day, we can't take those things with us into eternity. And we got to make sure we invest on what's most important, which is our soul. So how do we guard ourselves from idolatry? Number one, make Christ your greatest treasure. Number two, remember you can't take it with you. And number three, the final thing that I present to you this morning to protecting and guarding our hearts is be a good steward. Be a good steward of your wealth. In other words, work hard. Work hard. Get a full-time job. Work hard. Make money. Pay your bills. Take care of your family. Do those things that need to be done in this life with your wealth, with with your material blessings, and then give generously. Give generously to the Lord. Give generously to the Lord through offerings to missionaries, uh, to Christian organizations. Be a generous giver. This is one area that you and I, and the, the Bible promises a return, is that when we take our, and I'm not just talking about money, I'm talking, it could be money, it could be material possessions, it could be wealth, it could be things we have, but we need, need this when we give to the Lord from our wealth, from our material possessions, we are promised a return. It says it in the Old Testament, Jesus says it in the Gospel, and it says it in the New Testament. Malachi 3.10, we know the Old Testament tithe, where some, for some it was money, some it was grain, but it says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. There may be food in my house. Test me now on this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open up the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. So there in the Old Testament, they were promised, hey, if you give, you will receive a blessing. You will be blessed. Uh, the, uh, the windows of heaven will be poured out. Jesus in the Gospels, Luke six thirty-eight, he says this, give and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaking together and running over. For by the standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. There, again, uh, I like what John MacArthur says about this. John MacArthur says in these verses right here, this is the one area that we can expect a return. Because God wants to bless people. He wants to bless people. But that blessing comes down so that they can bless others and so that they can give to missionaries, give to Christian organizations, and provide. And then finally, Old Testament, in the Gospels, and then Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, he said, Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. But here's the overarching deal, and this is the principle that so many people, they miss, they miss it. They miss it. When, when we start talking about giving and we start talking about um, our material wealth, here's the deal, guys. We are blessed with wealth not to be rich. We are blessed with wealth to be a blessing to others. Man, if you understand that, man, go search the scriptures to see if what I'm saying is true. Go back and look at Matthew chapter 16. Look at these, excuse me, not Matthew 16, Matthew chapter 6. Uh, that's the deal with blessing. He's blessing us so that we can bless those around us. And finally, I want to share with you this morning Pastor David's favorite Bible verse when it comes to our material things, when it comes to my home, when it comes to my cars, when it comes to my boat, when it comes to all the things that I have. This is the, this is the go-to verse And it's Psalms 24 1. Psalms 24 1 to me is the greatest verse in all the Bible on our wealth. Look at what it says The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all those who live in it. The Greek word for everything, guess what it means? It means everything. It means everything. It's all His. My home, my vehicles, my, my 1999 Trophy Bayliner, everything I have, everything on this earth, is, it all belongs to the Lord. And every material blessing I have, everything that I have of wealth, it, it belongs to him. And here's the deal. It's on loan. It's on loan. God has said, okay, for this life... I'm going to trust you with this. He's going to bless you. He's going to take care of you. But I'm going to give you this. And it says, the earth is the Lord's everything in it, the world and all those who live in it. You know, God owns 100% of our wealth, 100% of the things that we own. Let's take this life that he's given us and all the wealth that he's blessed us with, whether it be property, homes, money, whatever, whatever the, ever how he's blessed you, and let's use it for his honor and his glory. Amen, church? Again, the idolatry, the idolatry of wealth is a serious thing. James spends six verses on this very subject, and we need to understand the, the, the dangers of idolizing our wealth. Let's, let's not idolize it. Let's use it for his honor and his glory. Let's make Christ number one in, 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 in everything else after that. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Father, for our verse-by-verse study through the book of James. Thank you, Lord, for the stern warning. Uh, Lord, your, your word is sharp here, It's sharp as a double-edged sword. It penetrates our hearts, and it warns us. It guards us. And Father, help us all to obey that greatest commandment, which is to love you with all of our heart, all of our soul, and all of our strength. Lord, help us to believe that promise, to seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all other things will be added, or they will be taken care of. Lord, bless your people today. Help us not to idolize anything in this life Father, break down the idols. Break down, remove the things that we worship. Remove them, Lord. Awake us. Awake us, shake us. Lord, help us to surrender to you and help us to leave those things that we've idolized at the foot of the cross. In Jesus' mighty name I pray, Father. Amen. Amen.